Uh, let me actually just pray for us, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your kindness. We thank you that you are uh, the God who um, pursues your people. Uh, you're the God who, in your Son, uh, has, has died on the cross and has allowed us to have new life in him because he has taken on the, your wrath that was reserved for us. And we are thankful that as a result of his atoning death for us, that we can be reconciled to you. We thank you that we have the great privilege to be able to, uh, to gather together uh, as the high school group. And uh, God, I'm so excited for uh, this new school year and this new season of life for this high school ministry. And God, I do pray that even for just something this small for, for this evening, uh, I pray that we would have some ideas to, to really consider uh, as we consider uh, not just this school year, but the totality of our high school years together. And so God, we do pray for your grace. We, we love you so much. We thank you. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you guys are all well. Uh, if you guys don't know who I am, I'm pretty sure all you guys do. Uh, I'm Eric. I am your pastor. Um, but ninth graders, we're, we're very, very happy to have you guys, as I mentioned. Um, <clears throat> I was kind of hoping that this Friday wouldn't come, but it has. And, and now here we are. Uh, and now here you guys are. And uh, you guys have successfully doubled our high school group. And I don't think everyone is back from like vacation yet. Some people are still out of town. But you guys have successfully doubled our high school group. I'm not even sure what we're going to do when Beacon resumes. Uh, so I'm just going to kick them out. And um, just kidding, we can't. Um, because that would be unloving. Um, but we are bursting at the seams. Uh, and we're going to worry about that in a couple weeks. Uh, and so here's what we're going to do tonight, okay? Um, mo- many of you know this about me already. And I've already alluded to this. Um, but I am notorious for super long uh, messages. And, um, and if you've actually been in Sunday school with me on Sundays, um, I actually go longer tonight. I'm just kidding, I don't. Uh, I actually go longer Sunday school than I do actually on Friday nights, believe, believe it or not. Um, anyway, um, and I'm going to be honest, um, it's going to be hard a little bit at first, but I guarantee you by the end of the calendar year, you'll have been, you have been acclimated. Um, but... Um, I'm, I'm really just preparing you guys for Pastor Kim's messages, and so, just kidding, you guys have been in, in Sunday service for, like, a while now, so anyway, um, you know, Seth complains um, when I go under 45 minutes, so, um, so thanks, Seth. <laughs> um, but tonight's message is meant to be an introduction to this high school group. Um, also, in some ways, a preparatory message for you to think about as you guys head back to school. Um, now, one, one more announcement before, I, um, before we, we start is that um, we're going to be starting a brief mini-series in the book of Psalms, and I'm calling it uh, the Pilgrim's Song because as Christians, we need to recognize that we are actually on a pilgrimage. Uh, we, are, we are pilgrims in a world that is not our home, at least not yet. <clears throat> and until the return of Jesus, there is a posture of dependence upon him that we need to cultivate. And the reason why we need to cultivate this dependence is because we naturally don't want to. Uh, the only innate posture that we have as sinners is independence from God, not dependence. Uh, and so the book of Psalms is meant to help us see what it looks like to live a life completely dependent on and surrendered to the God of grace and mercy, to set our gaze and affections uh, on, on him, to delight in him, and to find our strength and our hope in him. And I trust that we're going to find some surprising things about ourselves as well as we come before the face of God. And so this series will take us through the middle of October, and after that we'll resume our study in 1 Corinthians. And so, um, do you guys need notes over there, you two? Let me just run over there real quick. Ah! 
You're welcome. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to leave a couple here just in case. Yeah. <sighs> okay. This keeps falling off. Okay. All right. What was I, what was I saying? Okay. We'll resume our study in 1 Corinthians. Um, okay. I got all the formalities out of the way, right? Okay. Um, I have an opening question for you. Uh, I usually open my messages with a question. Uh, what goals do you have uh, for this school year? What goals do you have for this school year? Maybe uh, for our ninth graders, uh, what are some goals that you have as a uh, soon-to-be high schooler? Um, and if you're an incoming ninth grader, I'm sure you've already thought a little bit about what to expect um, and what you want your first year in high school to be. Um, I think some of you already registered for classes and, and you're scram scrambling to finish summer homework. I think some of you guys were mentioning that last week. Um, maybe if one of your goals for ninth grade uh, is to just survive or make sure that you have good friends or get straight A's, whatever it is. Maybe just like straight C's. Uh, if you're a junior or senior, <clears throat> I'm sure you have goals uh, that you have as upperclassmen. Some of you are, have already started driving, which is absolutely crazy. Please let me know when you're driving so that I'm not on the road. Um, some of you have a high school bucket list. Uh, that you don't want to, that you want to do before you graduate. Um, some of you, I'm sure, can't wait for college apps to be done and to be a second semester senior. But as the school, as as the school year starts, and 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 ninth graders in particular, as you enter high school group, um, I, I don't want to necessarily add to your list of goals. Rather, what I want to do is give you a list of priorities and goals that will reorient all of your other goals and give life to all of your goals. Sorry. You see, it's not that goals, um, it's not that the goals that you might have as a high schooler are bad, but the question is whether these goals that you have are ultimate. In other words, as Christians, there should be a hierarchy of values and priorities. For example, for some of you, getting a boyfriend or girlfriend is probably a higher priority for you than getting into college. Uh, just kidding, I hope, I hope, hope not. Um, but more realistically, for, for some of you, getting into the college of your dreams is probably a bigger priority for you than spending time with God or serving others. All of us, Christians or not, have different ideas of what we want out of our lives. just want to be, think about that for a second. You might call that the good life. You might say that your version of the good life is, is filled with Money, popularity, uh, academic success, a boyfriend or girlfriend, athletic achievements. And if you were offered a path there to the good life, would you take it? Well, of course you would. But if you did, what would happen? You know, there's a story of this ship called the USS Jeanette uh, that was supposed to take a crew of explorers to the North Pole from San Francisco, which is a very long route, but it happened during the 19th century. And in order to get to the North Pole, the captain of the ship, George DeLong, was going off of a series of maps that this map maker had created. And back then, obviously, they didn't have Google Maps, um, and they were just trying to figure out where everything was in the world. Uh, but DeLong's entire expedition from San Francisco to the North Pole was staked on five sheets of paper. Five sheets. Because within those five sheets of paper contained what he believed to be a route of passage to the North Pole. And as they began heading toward the North Pole, the crew realized that they were heading toward a route that didn't exist. What ended up happening was that the ship crashed and shipwrecked in the middle of the Arctic Sea as it crashed 
into these icebergs and they all died. They had staked their entire expedition, their, their entire lives on five sheets of paper, five sheets of a faulty map, and they lost everything. The point isn't that your goals, your goals are going to lead you to your death. I mean, I guess it could. <laughs> hope not. But the point is that if the goals and pri- priorities that you make during your high school years aren't just good things to have, but become your roadmap to life, they become ultimate, and you stake your life on that, it will lead you down a path that you might not have originally anticipated. What we need is a true map, a, a reorienting map that will reorient all of our other priorities and goals and put them in its proper place. As you guys make and form goals as the school year starts, I want you guys to consider the priorities and goals that you make in light of these three overarching pursuits. The first is the pursuit of God. The second is the pursuit of wise and good friendships. And third is the pursuit of unique opportunities. So the first is the pursuit of God. Pursue God. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn uh, to Jeremiah chapter 2. And we're only going to spend there uh, for a second. But Jeremiah chapter 2, we're not going to be sticking to a particular text necessarily, but we're going to be jumping around. Uh, But Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, yes, it's in the Old Testament. It's right after Isaiah. Um, But Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, uh, Yahweh through Jeremiah writes, um, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Almost a year ago, I was in Hawaii with Megan and her family. Um, I think I might have even mentioned this to you guys before, but uh, we were at the beach almost every day, and there was one day at the beach uh, where there was a couple that had caught my attention. And the reason why was because uh, this, cu- this couple was lying down on the beach uh, in all this scuba gear, and they looked like absolute junk. Like their faces were red, they were swollen, they were throwing up. Uh, and I was like, ah, sick, gross. Um, and I found out that uh, from overhearing uh, different people, that they had gotten the bends, which is uh, also known as de- decompression sickness. And I wish that upon no one. Um, decompression sickness is what happens when you're deep down in the ocean and you immediately rush to the surface of the water, but your body doesn't have time to adjust to the pressure, uh, to the pressure displacement from, where, from your, where you are down here to where you are up here, okay? And so your body like really makes you pay and punishes you uh, for that kind of transition. And it turns out that the reason why they had decompression sickness was because one of them had a faulty oxygen tank, and while deep underwater, in complete anxiety and desperation, they had grabbed the other person's oxygen respirator. Okay, you can imagine just what happens. Um, as, the, uh, as the other tried to grab it, the other person grabbed back, I think it was a guy, and, and he swam back to the surface, um, leaving, um, leaving his wife or some, his significant other um, down there. And so they eventually make their way back up. And I couldn't tell if they were married, probably because the girl was so pissed off. Um, but if they were dating, I'm pretty sure the guy left the island uh, on his own. And even if they were married, I'm pretty sure that he would have just left on his own anyway um, because his, his wife deserted him. Um, but I just thought that this was such a perfect picture of what happens when you don't draw your breath from God. When you forsake the fountain of living waters 
and pursue wells that hold no water. You see, when we aren't drawing our breath from God, when we aren't looking to God to fill our lungs, when we aren't satisfied by the fountain of living waters, we are going to be looking for life and satisfaction in other people. You see, when we aren't satisfied by the Creator, we will always look for satisfaction in the creation. One of the many challenges that you already face as a high schooler or soon-to-be high schooler is the approval of others. You might already face that now as, uh, as, as, as now. Some of, some of us go to school every day thinking, what will they think of me if I do this or say this? Some of us live in low-key fear and anxiety because we're afraid of what others will think of us. Sometimes, for some of us, the approval of others is, is all that we live for. So it's the reason why we try to perform well on tests so that we can get people to think that we're smart and accomplished while we do well in sports, whatever it is. The thought that we could displease another person simply owns us and rules us. The disapproval of others is what tells us how to think, how to feel, how to act. It tells us what to wear. It it tells us to talk more. It tells us to talk less. The thought of having to say no to someone just completely freaks us out. We never considered that using people to meet our desires leaves us actually enslaved to them. And then we bring this kind of baggage into relationships with others, and you have high expectations for friendships and relationships. But not only does the thought of a person's disapproval suffocate you, your approval of others begins to suffocate them. And that is a bargain that most of us don't realize. When you live for yourself or others, you actually do not get more autonomy, as I've mentioned before. You actually get more slavery. You know, going back to the couple with the Benz, when that person underwater finally ran out of oxygen, he became a danger to himself and to the other person. If you're you're not being satisfied by God, if your identity is not rooted in Jesus, but in something else, you're going to be a danger to others. You know, just like that guy, if you're not breathing deeply from the love of God, you will claw and rip out the other person's oxygen mask. You're going to be looking for air and breath in your relationships or your friends, significant others. You're going to be searching for an approval, a sense of worth, a kind of love that no one else except God can give you. And when you do that, you will, and trust me, you will, push people away. I've, I've met people who have done that, and I've also been the recipient of people who have done that. When you do that, you will push others away because there will be no one who can measure up to your God-shaped expectations. People will only feel suffocated and crushed by you, and worst of all, you will be crushed because you have invested in people that cannot and are not meant to sustain your soul. People are incredibly important. Grades are incredibly important. But they are not ultimate. They were never meant to be. You know, my, my, my fear for you guys as your pastor isn't that school or girlfriends or boyfriends or, or sports or distractions to your life, which they are. That's not my fear, though. My fear is that school, relationships, and sports have become so central to your life that God has actually become the distraction and hindrance from the life that you've always wanted. Well, how do we know? 
let me ask you just a simple question. Is there something in my life that I would never give up for God? Just think about that for a second. Is there something in your life that you would never, ever give up even for God? Where God, if, if, if God had asked you to, to drop it, that you would refuse. You see, we think that Jesus is actually the foundation of our lives, but when push comes to shove, he's really not. You know, we can go to church, we can read our Bibles, we can say that we're Christians at school, but, but Jesus really isn't the center of our lives, but merely an accessory. We can have a Jesus playlist on Spotify we can play sports for Jesus, which I think many people claim to do, but he's still not the foundation of our lives. And when he isn't the foundation of our lives, we are going to be looking for the foundation in something else, but we will always lack. You know, in Psalm 23, verse 1, King David says something very interesting. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want I I, I shall not want. I'm satisfied even when my life is complete chaos. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I'm taken care by my king. I have no lack. I have no want. I have all that I need. I'm completely full and satisfied in the care of my God. And you know what's interesting about King David's life was that prior, prior to writing this psalm, was that his life was a complete mess. Like, people were trying to kill him. People were running after him. He was going to be king, but not really, because King Saul wanted his life. And it was actually in the midst of that kind of chaos that King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. That even in the midst of externally chaotic influences and circumstances, that your heart can still be satisfied in the living God. Because your heart is satisfied by the living God. I'm completely satisfied in my God. In in fact, he, he later says in Psalm 23, he has so much of God that his cup actually overflows in abundance to others. It's exactly what Jesus says in, in John chapter 15 when he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it b- abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. And what Jesus is saying is that the extent of your fruitfulness to others and to the world is proportional to the extent of your faithfulness to God. You know, one way to think about it is if you find that you're not really being a fruitful Christian, maybe it's because you're not really being a faithful Christian. And you might say, Eric, that sounds great. I wish I could be more like King David. But many of us fail to realize that David's pursuit of God, again, didn't just happen immediately or instantaneously. He met with God repeatedly, over and over and over again. In the morning, during his, during his day, as he was being chased by murder, murderers, in the evening, he was constantly with God, and God was constantly with him throughout his day. You know, in the letter, of he- in the letter to the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews Uh, writes, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this you ought to be teachers, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled 
in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And that's from Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> Let me ask you, when was the last time you actually prayed on your own? Without the prodding of your parents and not before a meal. For some of you, your only encounter with God is here on a Friday evening. For some of you, Fridays and Sundays are the only times that you eat. And that's fine, you're still eating. I'm glad you're here. But the author of Hebrews says that with the amount of time that you come every Friday and Sunday, how many of you guys have been to Lighthouse for more than seven years? Okay, he says that with that amount of time you come every Friday and Sunday, you should be teachers by now. I want to encourage you guys that the high school group is a way for you to go deeper with God, but it's not the only way to go deeper with God. The youth ministry exists to help you, but it does not exist to spoon feed you. So during your time in this high school group, what are the ways in which you can pursue God? And I want to provide just three simple ways. There's obviously more, uh, and they're, you know, I think they're pretty like average and ob- obvious. I'm going to put a little spin on it. But one is uh, prioritize youth group. I know that there are sports events on Fridays and dance events, events, and there's no reason for you to be legalistic about it, but you really want to evaluate going to these different events for the right reasons. Are, am, am I missing youth group for the right reasons? Am I missing sports events for the right reasons? Is it just because I want to get out of certain things? And so prioritize youth group. I really... Some of the, one of the most precious things is that you will actually end up meeting maybe your best friend from this high school group. And if you, you would not have, have been able to do so if you weren't here. I, I, want, I really encourage you guys to invest in this pri- and prioritize this youth group. And second is uh, to guard your time reading scripture. Guard your time reading scripture. And I know you guys hear this. Like, this is like the obvious, like, okay, that's like the, the go-to, like, youth group answer. Uh, Actually, I don't think I've really encouraged you guys to read your Bibles or pray, like, in all my messages. I'm, I'm, I'm looking through all my application, like, huh, there's something wrong here. Um, I'm asking you guys to read your Bibles, okay? I understand that reading the Bible is hard. I understand that. You, you guys have told me that one of the reasons why it's so difficult for you to read, read your Bible is because it's hard to read. And I'm the last person to say that it is actually easy. It's not easy at all. Whoever said that reading Scripture is easy is lying, lying to you, Okay. Um, but reading scripture is not easy. But you know what's just as hard, though? Studying calculus. Maybe for some of you guys, not really. Like, like calculus is like what you do in your sleep. Um, uh, studying chemistry, studying physics. How many of you guys are taking a foreign language? I think all you guys are required to, right? Okay. When you study Spanish, J- Japanese, or French, you're not only studying the language, but the culture as well. You study the social norms, uh, the history of the culture, as an addition to the language. Reading the Bible is a lot like that. And so we, we just have to kind of readjust our expectations when we read Scripture. The Bible is a book written by people from a different time era and a different culture. I'm not saying that this makes it easier, but at least adjust our expectations for reading Scripture. And so guarding your time reading Scripture means that you want to carve out specific time in your day to read your Bibles. Uh, just by way of example, um, I, I read my Bible 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the afternoon, and 15 minutes in the evening. And uh, I make sure that I protect that time no matter what. Now, you don't have to model your scripture reading after, after what I do, 
But you want to make sure that you have consistent rhythms that allow you to spend time with God. If you find that personal scripture reading is difficult, has it also ever occurred to you that scripture was originally meant to be read in community? Back in the early church, people didn't have their personal size or pocket size ESV Bibles. They didn't have their Bibles on their phones. They had copies of scrolls, which meant that people read scripture aloud together and almost never in isolation. This doesn't mean that you should never read your Bible on your own, but it challenges the way that we Americans understand quiet times. Even though you guys have your own Bibles, I encourage you guys to talk about Scripture with one another in your pursuit of God. If there are questions that you have about the text, I'm, 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 more, than welcome to, I'm more than happy to answer your questions. But maybe consider asking the people around you to get their thoughts on it. What about prayer? Invite God and his presence into your life. Every morning when I wake up, um, uh, before I do anything, I, just, I simply thank God for just existence. It is sheer grace that I exist. And I started doing that because uh, my old youth pastor had told me uh, to do that when, when I was 17 years old. And I've been doing that for ever since. So I'm almost 30. I've been doing that for 13 years now. Um, since then, I've expanded that. But every morning, I, I ask God to help me be incorporated into his purposes today. God invites me to participate in his fellowship and in his mission. And so I pray that I will be dependent on him during the day. I also invite God into my day. I tell him about my worries, my cares, my burdens, my anxieties, and I give it up to him. And so I really encourage you guys to really guard these times. These are, I know that these are like, like super ordinary, not that extraordinary ways of, of being with God, but this has always been, historically been, the way in which people met with God. They met with God in community, and they met with God in Scripture and in prayer. Historically, church, the, church, the early church has been doing this for 2,000 years. But as a high schooler, it will be pretty easy for you to equate productivity with faithfulness. Like if you got your papers done, you've studied for your mid- midterms, and you've done all this other stuff, it's easy to think that this kind of productivity, productivity is faithfulness. And, and sometimes it is. But what did you have to sacrifice in order to get those things done? Time with God? Relationships with others? Rest for your body? High schoolers, use your high school years to go deep with God. Faithfulness to God isn't cultivated tomorrow, but today. Today. Jesus reminds us that apart from him, we can do nothing. It is only when we pursue God that all, of our re- all the rest of our high school priorities and goals are animated and energized. Okay? That's actually when all of our other goals and priorities as a high schooler falls into place. When our pursuit of God is in its proper place. Secondly, pursue wise and good friendships. Pursue wise and good friendships. The book of Proverbs tells us of the profound effect that people and things have upon us. If I were to ask you who the most influential people that you know are, for, for better or for worse, well, who, who would you say? You know, some of you guys might think that it's your parents, uh, your siblings, family, relatives, friends, hopefully people from church. And I think one big reason for that is the sheer volume of time that you spend with them. 
Uh, how many of you guys know Sammy Lee? <laughs> All of you guys have or, or know her. I think most of you do. Um, Sammy is awesome. And if you didn't know, she works for the church and comes in every Monday and Friday. But since working at church for almost a year, I, I've caught myself saying, yo! And I don't, I don't think I've started, I, I would have started saying it if Sammy didn't work in the office. And so just a little picture of the influence of others. Um, and I, I want you guys to see, what I want you guys to see is that influence is not neutral. Influence is not neutral. Influence will take you places. Um, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, quotes uh, from a popular contemporary saying. He says, bad company corrupts good morals. So I think it's a pretty familiar um, kind of uh, advice. Now, does that mean that the person corrupted is guiltless? Well, of course not. Uh, but what Paul seems to be saying is that while those corrupted are ultimately held responsible, the bad company is partially responsible for their influence. Solomon says something similarly in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. The direction of your life is often influenced by the quality of your friends. The direction of your life is often influenced by the quality of your friends. Who you choose to hang out with for these next two, three, or four years will in some way or another, shape or form, shape your life. They will. And so high schooler, I want to encourage you to choose wisely the people that you keep your company with. And I, I think it's something that people like really un, um, undervalue and underestimate about the influence of friends and people in our lives. The first kinds of people that I encourage you to surround yourselves with are those within these walls. Some of my best friends, as I mentioned before, and, and best friendships were forged in youth group. And I recognize that this, this may not be the case for a lot of our youth staff that grew up in their own youth groups. And that also may not be the case as you graduate from this youth group as well. But for the people who have kept me on the path of righteousness, they've largely been the ones who cared about their own pursuit of righteousness themselves. And you know, I'm aware of, uh, I'm aware of one of the reasons why you might not want to pursue uh, wise Christian friendships, um, either in this youth group or at your schools, is because you found that Christians are just a lame bunch of people. And you know what? They kind of are, like myself included. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, we are a lame bunch of people. But all of your, you know, non-Christian friends aren't. Um, I tr trust me, they are. Um, or maybe you've just been burned by the people that you thought loved you and were hurt by so many of them. And if that's the, if that's the case, I, I'm so sorry um, that that has happened to you, that, that, has, that has been your experience, and that that's why that has turned you away from Christian friendships. Um, that is not how the church should act, and that is also not how Christians should act. And unfortunately, that is often the reputation of the church, and we are often hurt by the church, and sometimes deeply, and you know, I have too. Uh, people have talked behind my back. Uh, they've gossiped about me. They've, they've, they've said hurtful things. Uh, they've assumed the worst about my intentions. Um, and even as a pastor, I'm not immune uh, to, you know, feelings of hurt or betrayal. But if I can offer you some encouragement, as much as I've been wounded by the church, I've also been healed by the church and the people around me. You know, as I mentioned before, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old, and I'm turning 30 next year. I've spent 13 years in the church. Some of you guys will spend uh, even longer. How many of you guys are 13 now? Okay, great. Perfect. Okay, I became a Christian when you were born. Okay, so that's crazy. Um, but the church practically raised me, and the church practically raised you. 
Um, the, the, the church baptized me. Uh, she preached the gospel to me. And she fed me the Lord's Supper for 13 years of my life. That's precious. From the church comes the, the rich heritage, the, the, the blessings of God, the responsibilities from God. The church and the people who represent the church are too precious to abandon. But it's not because the church is a perfect people, because, but because of who the church points to. It's, it's the Lord Jesus. So I want you to encourage not to give up on the church, if not now, but in the future. And it's not because the church isn't lame, because again, I, I do think the church is lame. People are like so fractured. Anyway, but because of how gracious our God is, it's precisely because God has saved us by the blood of Jesus, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we can actually extend the love of God to those who have sinned against us. For those who are older in this high school group, I want you to think about the people who invested in you when you were in 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. Who are the people in your life that have positively marked you? Maybe it was some of the staff, maybe it was some of the, the upperclassmen or seniors who had just graduated. Now I want you to think about how you can be that for a generation of students younger than you. You have a chance to shape and invest in the lives of those younger than you in the same way that you were invested in as an underclassman. And maybe the previous seniors didn't do, do so good of a job, but guess what? You can make up for where they lacked. That's what the body of Jesus does. One of the privileges that I've had as the youth pastor is seeing students invest in other students. That's a huge privilege that I have that I get to witness as a youth pastor. As this high school group gets bigger, I can just see the relationships in this room beginning to fracture and form in cliques. And they've already have. Uh, and, it, and it's hard. You know, the, the incoming ninth graders have spent their entire time in junior high while the rest of us have been here. And it's kind of funny because uh, when we had gone to Disneyland this past Tuesday, um, all the different groups were broken up exactly the way that I had thought it would have. Okay? Uh, like the ninth grade girls would be over here, the ninth grade boys would be over here, tenth grade boys over here, uh, and the rest of and everyone else uh, in their own group. <laughs> but clicks often reveal our selfish unwillingness to get to know others just because it's harder to. The other person is difficult to talk to or whatever it is. But pursuing Christian... <laughs> pursuing Christian relationships is 100%... <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, is 100% a collaborative effort on everyone's part. But upperclassmen, I, I want to talk to you specifically. There is someone younger who needs you. There's someone younger who needs you. They're watching how you interact with others. They're, they're watching how you take notes or your lack of taking notes. They, they observe everything. They observe how you, you know, look at your nails. They observe how you pick your uh, toenails or whatever it is. You know? Think of people that you want to invest in and pour your life into. <laughs> this is a particularly funny evening tonight. Uh, but, what, what, but what does it practically look like or what kind of qualities should we be looking for in friendships? Now, there are a lot of qualities, but what I've found in my own life and the kinds of friendships that I've most benefited from are those who are the James Choi's and the Megan, Cho and the Megan Kai's. So first, faithfulness. Um, you are not perfect, okay? 
You are not perfect. Don't expect that you're going to be, perf- going to be the perfect friend. Uh, you're not. You will fail your friends and you will fail Jesus. And, uh, you know, can I confess something to you guys? Um, I'm a pretty bad friend. Um, James will text me every day and just to ask how my day is going. And, you know, if I'm preaching that week, um, I will usually text back like w- maybe once or twice out of the seven times, seven days that he texts me. And, you know, sometimes I think that James, uh, you know, makes des- some decisions that I wouldn't make and, and that, some- that promised me to silently judge him for making those kinds of decisions. The point that I'm trying to make is that I am often unfaithful and unresponsive to my friends and often judgmental of them. But when I'm unfaithful, my friends are not. And when I sin against them, they, hold it, they don't hold it against me. Why James Choi or Megan would choose to be my friend and my wife respectively, and that's key, respectively, is beyond me. But that's a lot like being loved by God, isn't it? Why God would choose to be my friend or your friend, and more than that, choose to die for me and for you, is beyond both you and me. It isn't because we were worthy or better than others, but simply because he wanted, he wanted to, out of his good pleasure and delight. So don't, don't take advantage of people's generosity and faithfulness, but don't choose the friends who will drop you when you mess up. Keep the ones who will forgive, forgive, and forgive. Keep the ones, keep the people who will defend your honor even when it costs them everything and costs you almost nothing. <clears throat> Those are the kind of people you want in your life. Everyone else are scrubs. Secondly is uh, the, uh, the Megan Kai's uh, wisdom. Notice how like also like I mentioned that like Megan is repeated both in both, both points, but James Choi is not mentioned as someone who's wise. That's not intentional at all. Obviously, uh, before every uh, you know, before every email that I send and every su- Sunday sermon that I preach, uh, I have Megan look at it, um, and it's not because of my lack of words, but because of the amount of words that I uh, have in the email. You know, go figure. Um, you know, I guess it isn't fair to use your wife as an example, um, but you want people in your life who are willing to speak the truth in love for your good. But it's not just the fact that they speak the truth, but it's also how they do so knowing the timing of when to bring stuff up and when not to, knowing when to be tender and when to be upset. You know, Megan, uh, James, and I were watching a video on YouTube of someone getting this huge decades-old blackhead uh, removed. And it was disgusting, but also, strangely, therapeutic. Um, And after the the, the blackhead was was removed, James was like, dude, like, this guy must have no friends. Like, why didn't anyone tell him that he had a blackhead on his neck for 12 years of his life? Um, You know, choosing wise friends means that we will choose friends who are willing to tell us when we have broccoli in our teeth, boogers sticking out of our nose, flies unzipped, and and when we have sin that needs to be addressed. What do all these things have in common? Well, all these things singularly demonstrate a concern for the other person. But wise friends, like I mentioned earlier, know when to tell you stuff. Anyway, the, the moral of the story is you should be friends with my friends uh, because you'll be wiser and more mature, more mature as a result. Um, also, I'm running out of time set on four, so I gotta just speed up my, my last point. So third point um, is pursue unique opportunities. Pursue unique opportunities. Um, 
how many of you guys know that the name of this high school group is called Kairos? Okay, some of you guys do. I, I'm, oh, some of you guys also do? Okay, great. Um, okay, if you guys don't know what Kairos means, uh, Kairos is a Greek word that means a unique, uh, a time of unique opportunity. And the reason why I named the high school group Kairos is because I really do believe that you high schoolers live in an unprecedented time of unique opportunity. Uh, what I want you guys to remember as you guys start this new school year and as you guys uh, participate in high school group, uh, you ninth graders, is that we don't forget our purpose and our existence as a high school group. This youth group isn't merely a social club. I'm glad that you guys have friends here, as I mentioned before. I really do hope that you make the best of friends with the people sitting around you. But more than that, this youth group is not merely a social club. We are trying to do something here. The purpose and outworking of this high school group is that we would live on mission. Live on mission. What I'm trying to do every single Friday night is to train you and to equip you to live out in God's world so that you can be a light to the people that need to hear God's truth. We have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a city set on a hill. And we have a task and a responsibility to bring the good news of Jesus to bear on the lives of our non-Christian family and friends. So I want you guys to seek opportunities to be a gospel presence in your schools, to be a gospel witness in your families. So I, want, I really want you to consider ways in which you can actually do that. Maybe it's sometimes bringing people to youth group, which I, I know you, a, a, lot of, a lot of you guys have done. And that's great. But high schoolers, it's okay to have priorities and goals. I'm going to land the plane here. But the priorities and goals only make sense and are only given flight when you pursue God, when you pursue good friendships, and when you pursue unique opportunities. And so I'm, I'm really, high schoolers, I'm really excited uh, for this unique season of time that we have together. Uh, ninth graders, I'm really excited to have you guys. Upperclassmen, I really exhort you to reach out to those that you don't know, not even necessarily the ninth graders, but those that you don't know that, that well. And, you know, this high school group, like, it will get bigger, but right now, I think we're at a pretty good size. I think. <laughs> but I, I encourage you guys to really, really invest yourselves and your lives in one another. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing to see this youth group be so united, uh, despite the fact that we're actually growing and bursting at the seams? Um, wouldn't it be great to see this youth group united for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. God, we need your help. Uh, it's a lot of important truths, and I, I think truths that I think a lot of our kids are familiar with. Um, but God, that still doesn't make it any less important. And so God, I, I pray for our, our high schoolers. I pray that you would be with them. Um, that as we consider what it means to uh, meet with one, with one another, to, to stir one another toward love and good works, uh, that we do pray that you would help us to tangibly and, and, and thoughtfully think through how we can do that um, in pursuing God together, in pursuing relationships together, in pursuing the, the mission of God together. And so God, we, do pray, we, we pray for your help um, that you would form uh, these high schoolers to be a people who, who love Jesus and love your people and love uh, those who are lost. And so God, we thank you. Uh, we love you. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are